Welcome in to another edition of the Daily Tap Podcast by Tapping the Keg Sports, soon to be Tapping the Keg Wisconsin. Uh, We are going to talk about a lot of things today. It's a loaded Monday show. Yes, it is the first Monday post no football, but we still have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about Giannis winning All-Star Weekend, but is his wrist okay? A lot of troubling stuff coming out of there. I'm going to try my best not to panic. Aaron Rodgers' leaks sprung all over the place during Darkness Weekend. We'll suss that out. We'll talk a little bit more on that. Aaron Jones is back. Who does that impact more, Aaron Rodgers or Jordan Love? And Marquette gets screwed in the initial tournament read. So that'll be a loaded show. Uh, we are all over it on social media. Tapping the keg on Twitter, Tapping the keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok, also Facebook. Under that same name, uh, we are trying to pump out content as much as we can. So make sure that you are liking that content, sharing that content out, and engaging. Or you can also let me know if you don't like the content. I'm, I'm here for you. I usually engage back. Uh, happy to do as such. Um, and on the podcast side, make sure that you are rating and reviewing. I know most of you are subscribed. If you are new to the program, you came in from a review over the weekend or for something else, we're happy to have you. Uh, make sure that you hit that subscribe button, whether it's on Apple, whether it's on Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about All-Star Weekend, Giannis and the wrist injury. Giannis was great this All-Star weekend. Like Giannis was the star of the show in a lot of ways, even though Giannis played less than a minute. Uh, He just kind of went viral repeatedly throughout the weekend, whether it was the celebrity game on Friday where he told Richard Jefferson, hey, you're refing like Mark Davis, bro. Cut that shit out. And Richard Jefferson was like, I'm mic'd, dude. Like, you can't say those things. Uh, So there was that on Friday. He also talked about how he was wearing basically everything he got for free and then his watch and his bracelet were fake. I mean, there was that going on. Then like talking about how much he appreciated being the captain and that he was the captain and he was all over the dunk fest and filming all these guys and you know he talked shit to Graham Williams called him an ugly ass I thought he said something else uh, he said ugly uh, not what I thought he did uh, which is good I'm glad it was ugly and not the word that it was because I don't need Giannis getting canceled uh, but anyways like he was all over the place and then before the game you know doing the picks you know wanted John Morant didn't get him tampering with the damn situation like all of this was a great like Giannis is the ambassador of basketball like he has taken the crown from LeBron as sort of being the host even though this is not his host city you know Salt Lake City but Giannis made it a point to get himself front and center in front of all the NBA fans and all the people that were there and make himself the star of the show and that's I think a really important thing when you're the guy in the NBA and I think Everybody has sort of looked at Giannis as the guy. I think it's pretty evident that that's who he is at this point. I think we all can we all can agree that Giannis is that guy and that even though he doesn't get the greatest whistle, and I think part of that is due to the fact that he's really hard to figure out from a ref perspective because he's so fucking big. I do believe that like he is the face of the NBA, and I don't think it's really close. I think part of it's doing to LeBron's old age, right? He's he's kind of aging out. I think it's also to the fact that Steph Curry hasn't been really present in a lot of these big moments, right? Steph Curry was, I don't 
he was named to the all-star yeah he was an all-star starter and he didn't he has an injury he wasn't even there uh so there was no Steph Curry uh Durant ended up being there even though he didn't play uh in the game but Durant was around and things like that so like I think part of this, like having that presence, it's like Giannis is that guy right now. It's Giannis. I'd put Curry somewhere in there. I'd put LeBron in there. I'd put Jason Tatum in there. And that's kind of, and Durant. And I feel like that is your big five when it comes to the face of the NBA. But Giannis sort of wore it on his sleeve this weekend and did a great job and was everywhere. And I think I love I love that. I love that as a fan just of the Bucks. I think I love that as a fan of the NBA. I think he is a great face. I think that's what Adam Silver wants. Anta Kumbo, I think, will continue to find himself endorsement deals. I don't think it's going to be hard for him to make a ton of money on endorsements. He's already doing really well. The Google Pixel, it was in the Super Bowl commercial, you know, laughing at himself for getting dunked on by Jason Tatum. Or I'm sorry, Jalen Brown, pardon me, uh, Jalen Brown. But anyways, like there are going to be more endorsements running in. Like you, people see this over the weekend and they are going to look at Giannis and say, all right, this is as marketable as a guy as there is not only in the NBA, but I think in all of sports. And Giannis continues to not only be, you know, the goofball that he always has been, but he's determined and he wanted to win. And I'm sure he thought long and hard about the guys he wanted on this team, not only from a tampering angle like Damian Lillard, which if everybody should have seen that coming, right? Damian Lillard is a guy that Giannis really likes. Uh, there have been rumors about Damian Lillard and the Bucks in the past. Like, yeah, that was a very sneaky move by Anza Kubo. Also, Shai Gilders Alexander, Pascal Siakam, who's his boy from Africa. Like, there, there's a lot there. Like, they, there was a lot there where you're like, okay, Giannis is definitely dipping his toes into basically finding guys who maybe they want to play together. Drew Giannis and uh, Drew Giannis and Dame were all sitting together at one point, you know, talking about stuff like. That's all things to keep an eye on. Like Giannis definitely used it as a recruiting opportunity. So I, I, I really love that part. I really love that part of it. And I really thought that it was great to see how involved Giannis was this weekend. And I feel like it's more than it was the year prior or the year before. Like I can't really remember. All-Star weekends kind of come and go. Like I'll remember dunk contests here and there, uh, which was great on Saturday. I felt like both the three-point contest and the dunk contest rocked. You know, some years it's great. Some years it's not. I feel like it is a every year traditional thing to watch. I don't know where I was last year. I have to think about that because I, I remember how everyone's like, oh, the dunk contest was terrible. And I was gone that day. I had to remember. I have to think back where, where I was, but I missed, I completely missed last year. And so here nor there, but yeah, it was, it was an awesome weekend. Giannis was front and center, but now we all worry about the rest. So Giannis, after the game, Tim Bonatemps of ESPN reports that Giannis is going to New York for further testing on his wrist on Monday. This is scary. You never want to hear further testing. This is similar to, hey, someone's elbows screwed up and they're going to go see Dr. James Andrews in baseball. This is not good. All right. Like, I, I'm not feeling great. And then I saw the video uh, that someone tweeted out. It was Eric Bo uh, Boynton or something like that. He tweeted out uh, a video of Giannis trying to pick up the trophy. Really couldn't uh, with that risk. Oh, man. I am not feeling great. I I'm not at all. Uh, this is this is bad. Like I, I'm pushing a pan button. I don't care. Like if I'm overreacting, that's okay. Uh, I think the wrist is really fucked, and I don't think it's just a sprain. 
I know Mike Brunholzer said it came back clean. Uh, I think there are some things significantly wrong with Giannis's rest. And everyone can be like, oh, yes, get healthy. We don't need you to the playoffs, all that. That's bullshit, okay? Giannis had one of the highest usage rates in all of the NBA this year. Giannis carried the team to where the Bucs are right now. Giannis is was gaining steam on the MVP conversation before this wrist injury. Now, obviously, Giannis will fade here if he's going to be out for a significant amount of time. And I'm, embra- I'm bracing for it. I'm bracing for the report from Shams or Woj tomorrow that Giannis has a partially torn ligament in his wrist and he's going to miss four to six weeks. I, I feel like that's the story that's going to come out. And I guess to that, if it, if it is that bad, I think you just hold on for dear life. The Bucks schedule is not very easy. Um, they're going to need you know, a lot of help from Drew Holiday. They're going to need Chris Middleton to start playing 30 minutes a game. I realize that's been a problem for Middleton. You hopefully could get Bobby Portis back. From people I talk to, it seems like Bobby's going to be back right after the All-Star break. You're going to have Jay Crowder there. So, and hopefully a couple of buyout guys. And then maybe you look at a guy in the buyout market that is more of a volume shooter, right? A guy that can put up buckets, not necessarily a defender. You might need more scoring. I actually thought a guy like Kevin Love, it, probably not for what, because that'd be the Serge Ibaka thing. So I, I'll take back that at Kevin Love, but I think that sort of score, right? A Kevin Love type. Let's just say the guy who could score like Kevin Love, put it that way, because that's what the Bucks might need if Giannis is going to be out for a long-term period. Because yeah, it's I, I can't think it's good. I, I can't think they liked what they got that first time around. Even though Mike Boonholzer, you know, came out and said, "Oh, it's clean. I think it's going to be all right." Uh, they didn't like what the results that came back or further MRIs did not show. Did not show what what I think everybody wanted. And what's so interesting to me is maybe it's not. So here's the here's the part. So I, I freaked out there for a bit. I'm not gonna lie. Like the he, the way he handled the trophy threw me over the edge. Like that was the last thing where I was like, oh fuck, like this does not look good. Uh, but if I took a step back, I talked myself off this ledge, and I I was a little more calm, Chuck. If we were just thinking about this at the other side of it. Giannis was pretty fucking happy all weekend, right? We just talked about how he was owning every moment and he was really involved and really happy to be there and wasn't really down in the dumps or anything like that. Like smiling the whole time, smiling after the game, the winner, winner, chicken dinner to Ernie Johnson. Like he was all over the place and happy. And if he really did hurt his wrist and he was going to be out four to six weeks, do you really think Giannis would be that happy right now? Do you think Giannis would just, you know, act business as usual? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a two to four week thing and he just looks at it like, all right, I'm going to be fully rested, fully healthy for the playoffs. I'm going to have a couple of weeks to get myself acclimated before the playoffs start, to give my knee more, more time to rest, everything like that, and everything will be okay. Is that how he's thinking? Is it, I just need a quick like surgery cleanup. I'm going to be out for a week and that's going to be it. And I'll have two weeks off and I'll be ready to play. At, you know, starting the week after. I don't know. I, I th- th- A part of me wonders, like, is it just like they're just making sure, hey, 
we don't need surgery on this, right? Like he can play through this. What do you recommend? Uh, how could he, you know, work on treatment? You know, the wrist doctor that I believe he's probably seen, her name is Michelle. I don't have the last name. I, cause I started looking up like wrist injuries in the NBA and there was some really, there was some really actually good stuff out there. The doctor's name is Michelle Carlson, and she worked on Lamella Ball and Bradley Beal's wrist. So it's possible he's going to see her, understand where they're at. Now, yes, could it be worst case scenario and they're out? He's out till the playoffs. Yeah, it could be. It could be that, and we have to embrace that. And if we have that happen, it's it's going to be a long road. It, there's a lot of things that will happen and consequences that will go on. I could also see a situation because Giannis is Superman that they say, oh yeah, he's out four to six weeks and Giannis is back in two, uh, would not surprise me. So yeah, we're just gonna have to, we're just gonna have to uh, say good vibes, good good feelings, thoughts all, all around with Antetokounmpo and hopefully he is all right. Uh, but yeah, great weekend still for Giannis. Uh, I don't think you can take that away. But obviously the wrist thing looms large for the second half of the season for the Milwaukee Bucks, as well as potentially the playoffs. So we'll see. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, it was a weekend for leaks, which I really should not have been surprised. I was having beers with my guy Murph uh, on Saturday at Monica's. And he was saying, are you really surprised that there were leaks this weekend? And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, no, Aaron Rodgers can't defend himself. None of Aaron, none. Basically, there's nothing that Aaron can do. All this stuff can leak out, and there's really no defense. He can't go on social media and say fake news. He can't go on McAfee. It's basically like Aaron Rodgers can't defend himself. Now, obviously, his camp can, but Aaron doesn't want his agents reaching out or statement on behalf of Aaron Rodgers. They can't do that. So naturally, you had leaks from Bob McGinn and Tom Silverstein basically saying the same thing, but a little different. Uh, McGinn's report was Jordan Love's the guy uh, and that Jordan Love was was basically the number one at this point, that the Packers are going to go with Jordan Love come hell or high water, that Aaron Rodgers is going to be a backup at $59 million. And also Bob said Aaron Rodgers is not a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, which is great. So here's the thing with Bob McGinn. Bob again is one of the more revered journalists in Packer lore, right? He's been there for, he's doing it for over 30 years. He's very plugged in. That said, Bob McGinn has had an ax to grind for the last few years with the Green Bay Packers. When Bob McGinn started on his own and became a blogger boy, which he didn't like, he never liked bloggers, and then he suddenly became one, Green Bay did not credential him uh, in the press box, uh, whether it was on, I think it was on the road. They didn't credential him. Uh, he threw a fit about it. And ever since then, there has been very bad blood between McGinn and the Packers. Now, it kind of started before that when he was working for the Journal. He was very hard on Ted Thompson, uh, was very critical of a lot of the things that Ted Thompson did. Uh, so the relationship between McGinn and the Packers was never rosy. And so when you would read a lot of the stuff from Bob McGinn, you would look at a guy who had an ax to grind. And so the commentary about him being a backup and not being a first ballot Hall of Famer leads me more to believe that this is an ax to grind than an actually well-sourced article that Jordan Love is that player. I could see people saying that, yeah, they're, they feel good about Jordan Love. They feel good 
about where Jordan Love's at. Like that makes sense to me as a construct, right? I can buy into that idea that Jordan Love, you know, is you know is ready. Like he's ready to go. He's ready to be QB one somewhere. It might not be with Green Bay. Like I can buy that idea, but the other stuff from again, I cannot, and I just cannot take him seriously with all of the stuff that has been said. You know, in you know, against Bob's favor, really, and just the evidence of Bob having this axe to grind. He is not a guy that I look to for a major Packer story. I honestly don't even really look to Tom Silverstein, who we'll talk about here in a second. Tom is good, but Tom is also, they, there's been a little more anti roger stuff in the last couple of years. I think more, if it's Domofsky, it's Schneidman. Uh, I feel a little bit better because I, Huber, I feel like those guys are A, no acts, no, pretty balanced, have kind of reported both sides of everything. I've never really seen anything that would give me pause. Uh, Silverstein, I think, is fine and does a good job. So I won't, I won't criticize Spoon here as his nickname that the Big Jays call him. But I, I, I do wonder, you know, where this is coming from because the the big quote from his article was that. The quote that I think everyone will lean on is, at one point late last year, Brian Gunacoust told an NFL colleague he was convinced it was time for the organization to move on from quarterback Aaron Rodgers and see what Jordan Love had in him. Okay, first of all, it's very interesting that this is coming from an NFL colleague that told this to Tom Silverstein. I'm not doubting Tom Silverstein's reporting at all. Uh, and this NFL colleague could work for the Raiders. This NFL colleague could work for the Jets. He could work for the Bears. He could work for the Minnesota Vikings. He could work for the Tennessee Titans. He could work for somebody who would want Aaron Rodgers to be traded, that would want this leak to spring up. Now everybody sort of went crazy with this commentary. And I think it's really an interesting dynamic, right? Because if that's how Brian Gunacus feels, he shouldn't have a job right? Straight up. Like, why did you give this guy the money then? Like, if that's how you felt back in December of this year, well, how'd you feel December of last year? Did you get so caught up in the success of Green Bay and back-to-back MVPs that you were hell-bent on not trading Aaron Rodgers? Is this coming again from Mark Murphy? Remember, we talked about how Green Bay needed to have to have guts last Monday Monday's pod. If you go miss that one, go back and listen to it. Is this all coming from Mark Murphy? Is it coming inside the top of the house, like the top of the snake? And is Mark Murphy driving to keep Aaron Rodgers? And everybody else wants Jordan Love. But Mark Murphy does not want to go out with two Brett Favre's, basically. Because remember, Mark Murphy started his chairman as Packers with the whole Brett Favre saga in 2008, which was absolutely messy and really hard on any new sort of chairman of the board. And now, as Murphy has two years left, and we, we touched on this a little bit last week, so I'm repeating myself, but does Murphy really want to ride out with a new quarterback, rather the one that got him here, and hopefully bring one more Super Bowl for him in, as his chairman of the Packers so he can say he has one more than Bob Harlan? I think that shit matters. And if everybody is against Mark Murphy, then they have to do a good job of convincing Mark that it is time to move on and that they made a mistake financially. And the Packers don't make a lot of financial errors. They just they just don't, right? I think out of the teams in Wisconsin, they are probably the ones least likely to make a financial error. It's usually the Brewers. I would say the Bucks have made, made a few, not as many in, in the Giannis years, but it's never really the Packers. 
and now it is. And what does Green Bay do from here? Can they get that official sign-off? Can everybody come together and say, all right, we're going to make this happen? Now, Green Bay also takes quite the cap hit for trading Aaron Rodgers, especially before June 1st. So that matters. That that all factors into this decision too. And I, I really am at a point now where I am still on the side that I could see Aaron Rodgers coming back. I said I was 60% to a group chat who's all anti-Rodgers um, in that chat. Shout out to them. But like I was, I was 60%. Uh, in that Aaron Rodgers was staying and they shared this article and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm more like 85% he's gone. And if I had to do it like Kerry Matheson and Homeland and I was putting together the pieces, last week it was like, hey, the Packers were taken hostage, basically painting the Packers out to be a victim for giving Aaron Rodgers this money. And then this week we have, okay, uh, Jordan loves the guy, Jordan loves the guy from two different sources. It's, it's interesting, right? It's starting to shape up like everyone's trying to sell us on the idea for Jordan Love and that Aaron Rodgers is going to get traded next week or he's going to trade the week after. We'll just have to see. It's, it's, I feel like we are going to get a resolution before the new year, even though the June 1st deadline would really be helpful to the Green Bay Packers cap situation. And maybe that means that you know someone's eating dead cap or they're figuring out a way to sort of maneuver it or restructure the deal and it's, it becomes like a sign and trade. I have no idea what they're going to do. They're, it's a long winding road. But if in fact, Brian Gunacus feels this way about Jordan Love, they should definitely see what they have in him. I still think this puts Brian under a lot of pressure and it, it adds to his hot seat. I think Jordan Love will be on a hot seat. I think everyone will be on a hot seat next year. There will be a lot of pressure to perform for Green Bay next season if they do decide to move forward with Jordan Love. But if this is how Green Bay felt last year, they shouldn't have paid Rodgers. That's, that's the frustrating part. And if it really is all driven by Mark Murphy then I have concerns with that too. Because to me, that sounds like Mark Murphy's an owner. That sounds like Mark Murphy's putting on his best Jerry Jones and Arthur Blank impression. And that is not what Mark Murphy is supposed to do. That is not his role as Packer chairman. He is not an owner. He oversees the board. That's his job. So we'll have to see where this goes. It's never ending, right? Maybe it'll slow down a little bit this week. It's a quiet week overall in NFL and sports landscape. But then, obviously, combine next week, and I think you'll hear a ton next week. Next week, I think, is going to be really bad. So brace yourselves for that as these stories are going to keep coming out. There's other Packer news, more happy Packer news. Aaron Jones is staying with the team. Uh, the Packers restructured a deal, basically giving Aaron Jones 500000 less than he was expected to make this season. Uh, Green Bay reworked the deal for the Packers running back. Still going to get paid pretty handsomely at $11 million. And I think the big question now is, does it benefit Aaron Rodgers? Does it benefit Jordan Love that that Aaron Jones is back? I, I honestly could say both, both see value in having Jones in the backfield. For Rodgers, it's one of the most dynamic playmakers in the game. It helps Aaron Rodgers, you know, next season navigate, you know, the young receivers still having that reliable force in the backfield with Aaron Jones, whether it's just getting him the ball on runs or finding him in the passing game. I think that they will there will always be opportunities for Aaron Jones. And I think Rodgers and Jones have a very solid chemistry and can make things happen. So I think with 
having Aaron back there, I think the Aaron and Aaron combination will roll on. Um, do I think that Rodgers needs to take a step back and let Jones be the featured back and be a little bit more of a run first sort of Philadelphia style, if you will, right? Where Philly, you know, was run first, I, I would classify them as, and then they'd use the passing game when they needed to. That's exactly what I would like to see with Aaron Jones. Now, is Aaron Jones the bell cow that, you know, but see, like, that's the thing. Aaron Jones, like, Philly doesn't really have a bell cow. I was like, I was going to use an example. Like, Miles Sanders really never showed himself as a bell cow. They just used a bunch of guys. It was Miles Sanders. It was Gainwell. It was Boston Scott. It was Jalen Hurts. So it's like, could you put something together in Green Bay next season with Jordan Love? You can't do it with Aaron Rodgers. But with Jordan Love to transition over to him where you have a Philadelphia style and you just have different running backs going at all times. It's Jones, it's Dylan. You draft somebody, it's a really good running back draft. You draft somebody and they're a factor. Is that the route you go? But staying with Rodgers really quick, like I still think that they should use more Jones as a featured back and Aaron Aaron Rodgers, that is, should take a sort of a step back. Now, I don't know if that's an Aaron Rodgers MO. Uh, I think it would be very interesting to see if Jones has an uptick in performance with Jordan Love, which I think he would, because I, I think the Packers would lose Love and Dylan a lot more, uh, or I'm sorry, Dylan and Jones a lot more if Jordan Love is behind the behind the center. And I also think that having Jones back for Jordan Love helps him exponentially more than Rodgers. I think it helps both, but for Jordan Love to have that playmaker, have Christian Watson have maybe a new tight end, but Robert Tunyon, if they brought him back as a solid playmaker, having Romeo Dobbs, like basically they're stacking the deck for Jordan Love and having a very good offensive line too. And I, they're putting Jordan Love in a position to win football games. And if Jordan Love could do something similar to Jalen Hurts, where he's just making a few good passes here and there, maybe the Packers ceiling will be a lot higher. But I do think having Aaron Jones back from a player perspective, just for, or from an off-the-field perspective, is great too. He's a hell of a human being. Uh, Aaron Nagler uses carry a G, which I think is overused. I, I don't really like it, I'll be honest. Um, and it, it, it's his thing. I'm not going to shit on it. I'm not going to piss in his Cheerios. Uh, but he was right when he said that Aaron Jones is, exemplifies carrying the G. Because he really is. He's a guy that's a Packer for life, in my opinion. Like, he just has that mold to him. He, I think it's similar to what we've seen with Donald Driver, what we've seen with Jordan Nelson, uh, what we've seen with a guy like Gilbert Brown or Santana Dotson. Like, all of these guys have, like, that Packer in them. And Aaron Jones is is that guy. And I think he's on his way to being sort of being in that revered category. And you just love to see that he's coming back. And I had nightmares that they were going to get rid of Jones. I thought it made some, some sense, uh, even though he was your best player last year, just because there are a lot of talented running backs in draft. And then you just start the process all over again and you find that next Aaron Jones. But I do think Green Bay, you know, wants to keep their options open. And Jones will help either Love or Rodgers. And not having Jones there, I think if you're going with Love, would be a massive uphill battle to climb. It's like, okay, we're going to go rookie running back and A.J. Dillon. And A.J. Dillon, I felt like, was so hit or miss this year. And I really hope that you get a little bit better from Dillon next season. I, I just... It was not the year I had wanted for Dylan, but the Dylan Jones combination, they have great chemistry back there. And I hope that we see a lot more come with whoever is that quarterback there. 
to wrap up today's show, uh, got in a lot of topics. I'm, I'm impressed with ourselves. We did four topics in a in little shorter than I expected. That's okay. Uh, that, that's all good. Uh, Marquette finds themselves as a projected four seed, according to the committee. So the committee, they, they kind of brought in the college football world where they unveiled a bracket a month before March Madness starts. And they do the top 16 teams and you kind of get a view into how the committee is sort of thinking about things. Uh, and they only do it once. They don't do it every week, uh, which I, I kind of like. I like that it's only once. Uh, and Big East was shown absolutely no respect. Marquette was the highest seeded Big East team, but they were seeded 14th. They were the second highest four seed. Indiana was a four seed ahead of Marquette, which was very interesting. Uh, the Big Ten was showing a little more love than the Big East. And Xavier also found themselves as a four seed as well, who Marquette just beat this week. Marquette also had to watch Baylor be a two seed, who Marquette beat by 26 points. And Baylor was getting all this love and attention, and they got blown out by Kansas in a wild second half for the Jayhawks, to the point where now I'm wondering if Kansas is the best team in basketball. And that, could they go back to back? Because I think they have as much poise as anybody. And I just do not trust Alabama or Purdue in big game situations. It makes me very nervous. Uh, but who knows? I might still end up with Purdue somewhere in the end. I, I don't know. We, we'll have a long way to go. But let's stay on, stay on target with Marquette. So Marquette is a four seed. And it just, it's so weird to me that they weren't on the three line. I, they opted for Iowa State and Kansas State who played each other and Kansas State wins at home. Uh, but that was their first big win in a while. I, and I just, I didn't understand the infatuation with the Big 12. I thought the Big 12 is good this year. I don't think that they deserve to have a one seed, a two, seed, two two seeds, and two three seeds. So think about that for a second, right? That's That's loaded. Like that's saying they are on another level that, that that everybody else doesn't compare them. I can understand it has not been a great Big Ten year. I can understand it has not been a great Pac-12 year amid uh, UCLA and Arizona. I understand the Big East is top heavy too, but that should not be a punishment. That should not be a a death sentence. And I and I understand that this is exact. I'm doing exactly what they want, getting a lot of conversation about this topic only to have it not matter a month from now. And I, but I, I just, I worry now that Marquette's gonna have to do a lot of work here. Like Creighton is a game that's a, gonna be a very tough one, which we'll talk about here in a second uh, before we ride out. But then there's also the fact that you're gonna probably have to win some games in the Big East tournament. And for Marquette to get a three seed, it seems like it's going to be a mountain to climb because it does feel like the Big 12 has a cushion built in. And that's really frustrating to me, especially with how good Marquette's been. And Iowa State and Kansas State have both had a lot of losses in the last few weeks. And that just doesn't seem to matter. And nothing, I, honestly, I, I just, I don't know what the committee thought process was. It felt like they were just kind of firing, you know, shots at the wall. Gonzaga was a four seed over St. Mary's. like. That's ridiculous to me, just given the fact St. Mary's has been better in conference and had a really good season. Obviously, the resumes are different and things like that, but if we're just talking head-to-head, -head, like I feel like St. Mary's belong to that 16 more so than Gonzaga. But yeah, you're just going to have to use it as motivation, use it as fuel to the fire. They have a big one with Creighton on Tuesday night. Uh, it, it is going to be a very difficult game.
It's a game that Marquette cannot start out slow. Uh, we saw it against Xavier. We saw it against UConn. It bit them in the ass against UConn. Xavier, they were able to figure it out, ride the ship, and were able to close close the gap in the first half. And then they powered through in the second half in a very back-and-forth game. But the, there's no sort of emotional letdown, nothing like that. I mean, it's been six days now. They've had a lot of time to rest up and get ready for this game and prepare for this game. Like, this is one that I would expect Marquette to come in deeply focused for. And how do you figure out Ryan Kalbrenner? Ryan Kalbrenner, since being back, Creighton has looked like one of the best teams, if not the best team in the Big East. A lot of people are crowning them. A lot of people have said that they are the best team in the Big East now with Kalbrenner. And I remember watching this Creighton team during the Maui run, and I said, okay, Creighton's really good. UConn's really good. That were, those were like kind of my two takes in non-conference for the Big East. And they're showing it right now. And I think really the ways to beat Creighton, number one, is getting them in foul trouble. Not just Kalbrenner, anybody. They play some of the fewest bench minutes in all of, all of college basketball. 356 out of 360, 363. They do not play anybody off the bench. And so that is something where I, I really believe Marquette can exploit that and try to get more fouls. Now, Marquette doesn't draw a lot of fouls, at least to the free throw line. Uh, they're one of the worst teams in terms of getting to the line. And Creighton also doesn't foul a lot. Uh, they are, I think, at, or at least from like a free throw perspective, they're in the three, 360s for that as well. So that's a really interesting combination. It's almost like Greg McDermott, who I'm not a huge fan of, but he's obviously a good coach. And he's, he's kind of preaching to the idea of like, we can't really foul because we have nobody on our bench to help us. I do think you can speed them up. Like I thought St. John's did a little bit of that. Uh, on Saturday and just St. John's isn't good, right? But I think that Marquette will need to play at a fast pace. They will need to play at their pace and not at Creighton's pace. If they play at Creighton's pace, if they slow it down, they're going to, if they let Creighton develop, get into their half-court offense, it's not going to be good for them. They need to attack and push, push, push and make sure that they can keep, keep the gas pedal on for the Blue Jays because it's if they establish themselves in their, their half court it's not going to go well it's not it's just not going to end well for the golden eagles and i i do look at this one i wouldn't say it's a scheduled loss i don't want to say that i think that's loser talk are my expectations high heading into this game no will i wager on our cut in this game no do i do i hope that they just keep it close and not get blown out again like they did against uconn yes i think that would be the only thing that would cause me pause like if they get blown out again by UConn, then I, I, or like they did in UConn, I just start to wonder like, where is the ceiling for this team? Like, I think you have to bring the ceiling conversation back up because it seems like they're a little bit, you know, maybe not ready for prime time. And I felt that a little bit against Xavier, right? Chaka mentioned actually in his post-game show where he's like, the, everybody was telling these guys this was the biggest game of their career and they sort of took it too seriously. I'm paraphrasing a little bit what he said, but basically like they just were not ready for the bright lights. And that part worries me a ton, especially in the tournament. Uh, it, it's just, it, it, that's how weird tournament games happen. And you lose to a 13 seed or a 14 seed, whatever you, whatever your final ranking may be. But yeah, I, I have my concerns. Uh, I just, I hopefully they come out early. They punch Creighton in the mouth. They figure out a way to, around Carl Brenner and they start scoring and 
push a lead to even maybe and see what happens. But goofy stuff happens at that stadium. Uh, Creighton is 11-1 this year. Marquette's had some interesting losses there. Last year was I th- it was right down to the wire, if I recall. It was not a it was not a game for no rest for the wicked. They've had some crazy ones there. Sam Hauser hit a late game shot. And of course, my the theme of the podcast has been a rough show for the boy, and my internet is not loading, so that's fun. Uh, so we'll we I won't be able to read you the Creighton history of Omaha. I will just tell you that it has been a wild ride for the Golden Eagles. They don't play. It's not that they don't play well there. They actually do, but it seems like always dumb shit happens there. It's similar to Providence, where it's like, oh, somehow Creighton got more three more foul calls. Uh, going their favor than, than Marquette did. But we'll have to see. I'm excited for it. I'm glad it's like a 7.30 start. That's perfect. It should be, right? Because both teams are, are Midwest teams. Uh, so that's great. Uh, you can get all the stuff out of the way. Uh, enjoy maybe a punchki for dessert uh, while watching the Golden Eagles and the Blue Jays. Uh, all right. Rest of the week here. Uh, obviously, it's a slower week with uh, no basketball going on. Mitch is taking the week off. My man needed a vacation. Uh, hardest working man in America needed some time off. Uh, so he's not going to be with me this week. Uh, I don't know if I can bully him into talking about Giannis on Monday if we get news on it. I'm not planning to do a show tomorrow. Uh, but if the Giannis news comes out, uh, we'll do probably emergency prod. Uh, we'll, we'll hit the sign and go on for 20 minutes or whatever and talk about the impact. Um, if, but if that doesn't happen, uh, we'll be back on Wednesday. We'll recap Marquette Creighton. Uh, we'll talk about anything else that has happened in the last two days. Maybe some Brewer stuff coming out as everybody gets back to Arizona. Uh, they signed Justin Wilson over the weekend. Not a bad signing. Justin Wilson, not a bad pitcher. Uh, yes, he did have Tommy John last year, so it's not likely he's not going to be ready till July. But the Brewers obviously felt like he was good enough to stash him away and give him a deal. Uh, what else? Uh, then on Thursday, Shannon's going to join me. I don't know if we're going to call it Cake Jams. Uh, we're talking about kind of toying with the idea. I think we'll still call it Cake Jams, but it might be a little bit different than what we've done in the past. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And then I'll be back on Friday uh, getting ready for the weekend, talking Bucks Heat, talking Bucks Suns, uh, and everything else that will be happening this weekend. Marquette's in action. I would assume, I think Wisconsin's in action too. Maybe we'll, that's where we'll fit in bracketology. Uh, no, we'll probably do that Wednesday. But nah, yeah, let's do it. So let's do that. Well, now I'm like debating the show here. So each you guys do not need. Uh, but yeah, that'll be that'll be this week. So uh forward to talking to you guys all week. We're on social media, Tabby the Keg on Twitter, Tabby Keg Sports on Instagram, and TikTok feedback is always welcome. So if you have something you like, something you didn't like, something you want to see more of, just let me know. I, I'm always adhering to the audience. I always want to make sure that they're happy. Uh, and then, yeah, subscribe, rate, review, uh, do all those things. All right. We will talk to you talk to you Wednesday, barring any bad injury news. All right, we'll see you then. Bye.